Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. On New Year's Eve, Chinese President Xi Jinping delivered his 2023 New Year address through China Media Group and the Internet. Looking ahead to the New Year, he quoted Su Shi, a renowned Chinese poet, charge at the toughest and aim at the farthest, which means to take on the biggest challenges and go after the most ambitious goals. What are China's ambitious goals in 2023? What challenges will China face in the post-pandemic era? And how will the country turn its economy back? Welcome to the special series of Looking Ahead 2023, brought to you by The Point with me, Liu Xin, from Beijing. I'm pleased to be joined from Sydney, Australia, by Professor David Goodman, Director of China Studies Centre at the University of Sydney. From Beijing, by Professor Xue Lan, Dean of Schwarzman College at Tsinghua University. From Washington, D.C., by Surab Gupta, Senior Asia-Pacific International Relations Policy Specialist at the Institute for China-America Studies. And from Portland, the U.S., by Professor Liang Yen, Kremer Chair Professor of Economics at uh, Willamette University. The warmest welcome to all of you and Happy New Year, first of all. So President Xi Jinping mentioned challenges or difficulties a total of nine times in his short New Year address when he talked about uh, um, a Politburo Standing Committee member's special visit to Yan'an, one of the sacred land for Chinese revolution. Right after the 20th CPC National Congress last year, he said, we were there and he quoted in the New Year Address, to relive the inspiring episode in which the party's central leadership overcame extraordinary difficulties in the 1930s and the 1940s and drawn the spiritual strengths of the older generation of uh, Chinese revolutionaries. He said, just as polishing makes jade finer, adversity makes one stronger. So let me go to Professor Goodman first. Why do you think he's stressing this particular point in his New Year's address, especially when he talks about extraordinary, when he, you know, reminds people of the extraordinary difficulties the elder generations of Chinese revolutionaries were facing? Professor Goodman. Well, I think the answer is quite obvious. Um, The last three years have seen the world economy and everything that goes with it create difficulties for everybody. And China is no exception to this. And I think uh, the need to remind people of what's happened in the past and what can happen in the future is quite amply sim- symbolized by going to Yan'an. Of course, it doesn't ha- hurt anybody that Xi Jinping's father was there even before Mao Zedong, but that's uh, beside the point. But what kind of specific difficulties um, would he have in mind when he reminds people of the of the 1930s and 1940s when we when we are at this particular historical juncture, Professor Goodman? Still, oh well, I mean, I, in nine, in the 1930s, the problem was the invasion from Japan, um, and that was you know a major. Uh, confrontation that was coming and everybody knew it and that was the end of that. We don't have that situation now but we do have um, the question of reinvigorating the world economy in the wake of um, the pandemic and that is equally as big 
uh, a conflict, but it's not a conflict necessarily between countries. It's a conflict with the uh, with nature in a sense that the world, you know, that's thrown up this virus, which uh, is still with us, even though we now have to live with it. So I think I think that's that's for me that's the context. Um, it requires everybody to pull together uh, and do their bit. Of course, if you go back to Yanan days, it wasn't the case that everybody was pulling together. I mean, uh, the country was divided in lots of different ways. And there was a group of people who decided in Yanan uh, to run with what they thought was right. And in the end, they were very successful come 1949. Professor Shear, uh, it is really, really rather extraordinary, right, to hear uh, the president of China talking about um, revisiting the past, especially the period of extraordinary difficulties right now as we stand, you know, in the in the beginning of the year 2023. What do you think are the specific challenges President Xi or the Chinese central leadership has in mind when they're giving this kind of new address? I think that, uh, as uh, Professor Goodman said, I mean, the last three years have really, you know, had a huge impact on the global economy, and China is no exception. And also domestically, I think also, I think people have really experienced a three-year really sort of hardship in terms of the fighting with the virus and then going through various kind of lockdown and, and so on. And now I think that um, uh, it's hopefully the last chapter is, uh, you know, ongoing in China. So I think you do need to, you know, to, I think, encourage people to think of the, you know, sort of the hardship of the 1930s and 40s when the things are much worse and the challenges are much greater. And it's really how actually now people can work together to, you know, uh, persevere and, and, and hopefully win the last uh, chapter of the battle. Also, I think that you, you um, I think in President Xi's uh, speech, he also mentioned that China is a huge country. People may have different opinions, so let's find a way to, you know, work out and then to unite, you know, to unite together, and that really shows indeed. I think that the current situation we are in, uh, we've re- seen the the difficulties in, you know, fighting the the, the virus. Different people may have different, uh, you know, ways to think about what what's the best way to do, but I think that uh, once we've decided what to do, and then I think that we have to work together. What specific terms, what uh, specific um, barometer could you give, Professor Xue, to the audience as to the magnitude of the challenges we're faced with, you know, in terms of the economy as a result of three years of really very difficult fight against this unprecedented challenge we've, we've not faced over the past hundred years? Well, I, I think maybe I'll give you uh, two numbers. Uh, I think the first, I, I think not necessarily a number, but this is probably the first time uh, in many years, maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it started from the reform in the late 1970s, that China's economic growth rate is lower than many of the neighboring countries, you know, such as India and such as Thailand and many other countries. And that's probably the first time. So that really shows the challenge that we are facing. And the other number is that is, uh, uh, I think as, as many people know that China is experiencing a surge of the Omicron. And again, uh, that number, of course, different people are, uh, you know, are, have different estimates because I think now there's, uh, it's, you know, official estimate is very difficult to get because 
uh, you know, there's not, uh, you know, no longer testing, it's no longer requested. Uh, so I think that, uh, but different estimates uh, can put the number into several hundreds of millions, uh, millions of people. And so that's, again, it's a huge number. And so that's what uh, we've, we're facing up with. Right, you're talking about uh, the onslaught of the Omicron exactly at the moment infection, yeah. yeah, that we are talking that we are actually going through at this moment. Some cities are experiencing uh, rather great difficulties in the uh, medical care systems. Um, Professor Gupta, how do you read the kind of specific emphasis on extraordinary difficulties, uh, President Xi mentioned, and the need to overcome these difficulties with the same kind of revolutionary spirits that uh, let China out of the old world and into a, a new period in 1949? Uh, yes, the COVID-19 challenge is a very, very significant and, and, and very difficult challenge, I would say, for the first three, perhaps even the first six months of, of 2023. Uh, we have to remember, you know, Taiwan went from less than 10, less than a thousand cases, ca um, less than a thousand casualties to more than 10,000 casualties after within a six month period after its opening up in 2022, it's when it relaxed its protocols significantly. There was a real spike in mortality. And we're talking Taiwan is a 23 million population. You were, talking, you were talking about the numbers in, tai, in the region of Taiwan? Yes, the numbers in the region of Taiwan and the, mm -hmm. how there was a spike uh, out there. Yeah. And we can, if we extrapolate, the numbers could also be very high on the mainland. And so it, it is a very difficult phase at this point of time, taking care of the elderly who are going to be, uh, who are going to face the, uh, face the, the difficult challenge that, that lies ahead in the next few months. But beyond that, beyond the COVID issue, and I, I think the COVID issue will fade away by, 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 by mid-year when there is kind of very significant immunity within the population. But the, I think another issue which President Xi is alluding to is the issue of technology suppression that the U.S. has inflicted on China within the past two years. And Mr. Biden has followed through on, on, on the lines of Mr. Trump in this regard. President Xi has grappled with this issue and is seeing this right. Many of these fourth industrial revolution technologies will determine leadership and success for the next quarter century or even more. And China is facing a real risk in the semiconductor sector. And I think President Xi is talking about really girding one's loins and making those investments that need to be made in human capital, in technology development, so that China has some degree of self-sufficiency and com can compete in these four, fourth industrial revolution uh, technologies. It will take time. It's not easy. It's going to be an arduous process, and it's going to be a process no less difficult than the time in the, I would say, in the late 1950s when the Soviet technicians came back at the time of China's atom bomb development, and China had to do it all by itself and managed to do so in just a couple of years. This one will be longer and harder, but I think Mr. Xi is very focused on this. And we've seen that also in the composition of many of the senior appointees at the Politburo, in the Politburo Standing Committee, who have been shuffled around because Mr. Xi understands the importance that technology supremacy or technology competition will engender going forward 
in this in this year and in this decade and the decades there uh, thereafter. Professor Leung, do you share also the opinion that one of the issues that President Xi was alluding to was this technology decoupling or super, or race for technology advantage that is, uh, or this competition that the United States is fixated at this moment vis-a-vis China? I absolutely agree with the previous speakers. I think the challenges are threefold. Um, we know that there is a health threat, um, the pandemic, um, even though now has been downgraded in terms of the severity, but we know that many uh, people will still get infected. Um, so I think some of the credible estimation would put, you know, the number of infection to the 60% of the Chinese population by the end of January. So yes, there are some bumpy, um, you know, roads ahead. And second, I think is the economic challenges. And so I think that is also due to a very difficult choice um, of the government to balance, uh, you know, economic gains uh, with the with the protection of people's health and lives. So we know this year um, the IMF has forecasted that China's growth rate is probably going to be at 2.7%, which is much lower than the official target of around 5.5%. And on top of that, we know that there are other challenges internally, but also externally. Um, that leads to the third, I think, challenge, which has to do with the broader geopolitical uh, tensions and also some of the unfriendly policies, like, like uh, Professor Gupta has pointed out, um, the trade war and now the tech war. So I think all these challenges are ahead. But I agree what I think President Xi pointed out is not just the challenges, but also what requires us to do, which is to build that unity, um, have the courage um, to try to craft, you know, uh, sensible policies um, in order to boost the economy going forward. Well, the economy is definitely an important part of President Xi's New Year address and basically, I would say, one of the top priorities for the Chinese government to tackle, especially for the first half of this year. Um, let's focus on the economy a little bit. He was talking about, uh, President Xi was talking about China's GDP for the whole, he, for the whole year of 2022. Uh, expected to exceed 120 trillion yuan, that's about 17 and a half trillion US dollars. And uh, of course, he also points to the strong resilience, the tremendous potential uh, um, and great vitality. Professor Goodman, how much challenge is there in terms of the Chinese economy going in the first half of 2023? And how much resilience do you sense there is as, as well? So, uh, you know, both sides of the same coin. So I think in the first half of the year, quite obviously, the the major problem is dealing with the after effects or, or the continuing effects of the pandemic. Um, people are still somewhat restricted in where they can go and what they can do. And this, this of course, impacts on the workforce apart from anything else. So I think there... Uh, the government, uh, from the government's point of view, they just have to understand that growth will be slower in, in, in the first analysis. I think the longer term view is much more interesting because uh, what needs to happen now going forward is that there is uh, more real disposable income built into the Chinese economy. And that can only happen if there is greater welfare provision, um, obviously, because people, individuals currently save in order uh, to meet their own welfare requirements in the future. And that, I think, is what the policy goal of common prosperity is all about. And uh, I'm very excited. I think that would really be something if something could be done about ensuring 
at least at the city prefecture level, that there was uh, more more hospitals, more uh, doctors, uh, more education, more old people's care. Yeah, but I think, yeah, well, here some people would ask this question, look, it's a balance of a longer term um, approach to a shorter term remedy. Um, Yeah, because we're talking about the first half here and you can't possibly achieve a greater common parent prosperity when the economy is, you know, continuing a a downward uh, um, spiral. So um, do you think they are going to still focus on the common prosperity goes when the economy when the yes, consumption I, I don't think there is i don't think there's any choice i think if the goal for uh, 2035 of uh, 5.5 per annum growth in gdp over that whole period is to be met then there has to be um, greater welfare provision at the local level and that will mean a number of things not just the goal of common prosperity but also improving the personal taxation system Look around the world, look around the world in terms of welfare provision. What percentage of personal income tax in every country goes to government revenue? China is very, very low. It needs to ensure that there is redistribution that pays for offsetting those welfare costs for individuals. And that can only be done through the taxation system. Well, um, Professor Shui, let me ask your opinion. Do you agree that this is the time to address this inequality issue when consumption is really at a, an extremely low time? People are putting their money in the bank, and if you talk if you talk about taxation or greater taxation, this is definitely going to take you know scare people away from spending more, and that's what what's not needed at this moment for the Chinese economy. Let's look at this issue, I think, uh, from three dimensions. One is how to balance short-term and long-term goals. Uh, I think that I fully agree with uh, you know Professor Goodman that in, in terms of long-term goals, I think the common prosperity is really, you know, in essence, it's the key for so-called high-quality growth. I think that that's what, uh, you know, certainly China will keep that in mind very clearly. Uh, but as you said, I think at, at the moment, I think for the first half of the probably for 2023, the, uh, really the key is how to promote the, the engine to get engine started and to really, uh, you know, make it, you know, the economy run fast. I think here I would say that uh, China has already prepared a whole set of sort of policy measures to promote the um, consumption, promote the economic growth, as we've seen from the uh, the Central uh, Economic uh, you know, Conference held in December, last December. So I think that that's a short term. Uh, certainly, I think that, that uh, you know, things were certainly in, in that direction. The second thing I think we also wanted to, uh, you know, to see that China is a huge country with different regions have very kind of different uh, situations. So I think that it's not going to be a, a, you know, every province, you know, it's going to be on the same pace. We've already seen that as soon as China started to open up, you see Zhejiang and Guangdong, and they're already sending their you know, business teams to other countries to get you the know, eastern deal. coastal, the eastern, eastern coastal, coastal areas, right? So I think I would say that in those regions, the recovery is going to be much faster, and so they will. I think you will see the economy is going to uh, to boom and so on. Consumption will follow. However, in many other regions, I think that's probably going to much 
to be much slower, particularly over the last three years. I think many SMEs, many of them really, you know, just just uh, uh, closed. So now to restart those businesses are much harder. And, and that really is it, it, going to take quite some time to uh, regain, you know, those kind of strengths. And the third, I think, is also coming to the consumption side. Uh, I think a lot of people lost jobs over the last, you know, three years, and maybe couldn't really pay their mortgage and and so on. So I think that uh, uh, there also, I think, to get people to have the confidence to spend is also going to take some time. So there are some proposals saying that people, you know, China should really give out some money to uh, to every citizen uh, to, to to spend. But whatever the ways you do, I assume different regions may do different things. But that how to really get people to be confident, to be able to spend some money, I think that's something, that the third thing that we also need to, to look at. Yeah. Well, but do you think, you know, immediately, for instance, after the second half of December, let's say after that is gone, you, you start to see traffic jam on the roads in Beijing again. Obviously, people are eager to go back to work, to go back to big business. How do you look at the level of resilience of the Chinese economy, especially the private sector, of course, the state-owned sector as well, but you know the, the, the private sector, which employs huge numbers of people. How do you look at the resilience of that sector, Professor Xu? I, I think, first of all, I think overall, the Chinese economy is very resilient. I think part of that resilience comes from the, you know, so the, 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 uh, what do we say, sort of uh, the diversity in terms of the, you know, different regions, different sectors, and so on. And, and, and that's sort of the, the sources of resilience. Uh, but at the same time, we also have to be mindful that every sector, no matter whether it's, uh, you know, uh, you know multinationals, uh, SOEs, or uh, SMEs, every sector suffered hugely over the last three years. And so in a way to everybody needs some time to recover, to regroup and to rethink re about the strategy, particularly I think in light of the, uh, you know, at least, you know, we, we, I think the previous speaker have already mentioned about three uh, challenges and the COVID ending COVID is only one and the global right. economy is still recovering and the geopolitical environment is still there. So I think for many of the, uh, you know, companies, they need to really rethink about what they can do in this kind of new environment. So um, it will not be a smooth recovery, but certainly I think that uh, from what we've seen the, uh, over the last 40 plus years, and I think that resilience certainly is there. Professor Gupta, how would you compare the difficulties the world economy is facing at this particular moment with that of 2008? I mean, back then, China was in relatively good shape and uh, China and the United States were able to join hands or uh, China was able, you know, to provide some kind of a relief for the United States and for other countries that were in, in deep trouble. Um, now you, you mentioned the economic, the tech war that the U.S. has launched on China at this particular moment when the world economy is not looking at some good news. How much trouble is there going to be? And does the United States realize that this is probably the not the best moment to launch a tech war on China when the world is very much in need of a collective economic recovery if we're not going to sink together? I think you're absolutely correct on that front. Uh, there have been very drastic and draconian 
technology embargo and denial measures over the last two years. And the, the fruits of that, the bitter fruits of that are going to be felt in the next year or two when there's a downturn in many of those tech sectors. But speaking of the broader global economy, I am not too pessimistic. The advanced economies are looking at some form of recession. It's probably not a harsh recession, maybe a softer landing, but they are looking at a downturn in some respects. Emerging markets have held their own fairly well, despite the real jacking up of the US interest rates and the pressure that it has placed on their currencies. But they, most of them have coped well. We know there are cases of debt dis distress, but most have coped well. And I am actually fairly optimist, optimistic about the Chinese economy becoming a motor of growth for the global economy, especially during the latter part of 2023. I think uh, where, where the Chinese government is going, and rightly so, is to recharge the animal instincts of the private sector. That is what will grow the Chinese and economy dynamically, and it will help the world economy in tow, even if the advanced economies are not doing that great, given the food, energy, and, and, and other challenges that we're facing. And therefore, I think for the role for the Chinese government primarily is to kind of support economic growth, support the private sector, while not exacerbating the domestic economic imbalances and the risks to financial stability, and to provide support to consumption. The Chinese government needs to become a bigger player on the consumption side of the economy too, both short term and of course, as, as Professor Goodman mentioned, from a longer term perspective. But I am not a pessimist in terms of of growth, uh, global growth in 2023. What I am though pessimistic about is that advanced economies and emerging economies can sit at the table and really push the multilateral economic agenda forward. I think there's too big of a gap, a differential in that, and there are too many policy differences for that process to really be recharged in 2023, even though the Indonesian G20 chairpersonship was well, did a did a great job. So, but just talking growth, I'm 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 more optimist than pessimist in 2023 because of China and because of emerging markets. Many thanks to Professor David Goodman, Professor Shielan, Surab Gupta, and Professor Liang Yen for joining us on this uh, special edition of Looking Ahead 2023. As usual, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Vishin in Beijing. You've got the point, and once again, Happy New Year. <laughs>